So I want to start tonight just talking about an old friend of mine. Um, when I studied the text, I couldn't help but think of Carl Winger. Uh, he's probably the best man I ever knew. He was an accomplished man. He was a medical doctor. He's now deceased. He was very gifted intellectually. He, I think, was the smartest man that I ever met. In his younger days, he was quite imposing. He was very tall and strong. He had a natural charisma. He could have been a big-time politician, um, I believe, but he chose medicine. When you met Carl, you immediately knew you were in the presence of an extraordinary man. He radiated this kind of confidence and, and quiet power and still a meekness and a humility uh, and I guess most profoundly a joy. Um, you, you, when you met Carl, you knew Carl knew who Carl was, right? <laughs> you know, um, Carl, Carl was comfortable in his own skin. He knew exactly who he was and what his purpose was on the planet. Carl was one of those sold out men. Um, he loved Jesus Christ preeminently. He loved Jesus Christ above all things, above his wife, above his kids, above his job, above his money, above his status. He loved Christ above all. And it was, it was palpable to uh, be in this man's presence. He was what I believe a man should be. Um, a man who loves God first. And when, you know, we've talked about it many times, when you, when you love God first, then you actually know how to love other people, right? Then you actually know how to love your spouse. You know how to love your kids. You know how to love those around you. We really don't know how to love until we're in a relationship with Christ because really... Human love is very selfish love, right? It's what you can do for me. I'll love you if you can serve me. If you can make me feel good about myself. This is about the, as far as human love goes. I guess my most unforgettable moment with Carl was I was going through a very hard trial in my life. I was in intense emotional pain. And I was in a ministry at this time in my life where we had 30 men. We'd, we'd gather every Friday morning, unbelievably, at 5.30 a.m. Um, and I'm not a morning person. And we would share our concerns. We would literally get on our knees and we would pray for each other. It was a very powerful time. I'll, I've never had a time like that since, but it's been unforgettable. But I remember Carl praying over me. And he prayed from memory. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5, and I'll just read it to you. Carl prayed over me and said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant 
through Christ. I've never forgotten that passage because He prayed it over me during a, a time of tremendous trial and upheaval in my life. And I often remember during that time that my God, according to the Apostle Paul, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been in hard places and you know your God is this way. He is the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. If we read our Bibles, we learn that God never promises the believer a trouble-free life, a pain-free life, a grief-free life. The Bible never promises that to the Christian. I know that the prosperity preachers are out there telling a different story, but that's a false gospel. It is indeed a false gospel. We are not only subject to the trials common to all men in this fallen world, we are subject to trials simply because we are in Christ. Okay? You guys know the text. I know I touch it every once in a while. 2 Timothy 3.12 All who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will be what? Healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. No, that's not what the Word of God says. What does it say? You will be persecuted. If, you, if you're a real Christian in that world, <laughs> I know it's easy to be a Christian down here uh, you know, in, in the church, but if you're a Christian out in the world, persecution will come. It just will come. It's the natural byproduct of walking with Jesus. Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you too. And those of you who are vocal in the world and live your faith, you know what that's about. You understand that that's true. He doesn't promise us a trouble-free life. What does He promise us? I will never, what? Leave you nor forsake you. That's what He promises. And as we know from different places in the Bible, we know that He's... Yeah, He's not only with us, He's orchestrating and He's in sovereign control of our trial. And He's working for good in it. So, the unbeliever just suffers. The unbeliever just cries. But what do we do? I've said it to you many times and some of you may not be able to remember, but the believer... You know, the unbeliever looks at the trial. The believer what? Looks through it. Right? We don't have to just look at it and obsess about it and feel sorry for ourselves and moan and groan and complain to God. No, if we're biblically literate, we know what God expects for us to do. Not look at it, but look through it. And God is doing something. When it's hard, God is doing something. He's always doing something. He's always doing a good thing in the lives of His people. It's one of the tenets of Hebrews 11. I know I return there often, but these men and women, they believed God. This is the two things that I think came off the text to me when I studied this week. Jesus will say, believe me, and then He will start talking about heaven. He's saying to men, these men who... The world's about to blow up, okay? It's about to come off the rails. They thought Jesus was going to be ushered in as an earthly king. They saw themselves as the cabinet members, right? 
the prime ministers under the kingship of Jesus. And it's about to all come off the rails. It's about to get really hard for these guys. And Jesus says, I am God, believe. And I'll just ask, when it gets hard in your life, do you believe? Christianity is so simple. Believe. And then he starts talking about it. And then he says, remember. Remember. You're mine. And you're going to be with me. This is what Jesus says when it gets hard. Believe me. Trust me. And he says, you're mine. And you're going to be with me forever. Listen, if we don't get anything else tonight, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> Believe me, God says, in, in the hard place. And you will be with me forever. You know, the Hebrews 11 crowd, the men and women that lived their faith in such an extraordinary way, what were they looking at? If you know that chapter, they were looking at God and they were looking at heaven. Three or four times in that chapter, it talks about them looking at uh, the heavenly city, right? And God called them what? Strangers and exiles upon the earth. You know that about yourself, right? When you have temporal problems. You're not here to stay. Yeah, I know the problems are real. Trust me, I understand. I'm 63 years old. I get it. The problems are real. I've dealt with some really, really hard problems. But I'm out of here. Right? I'm out of here. I'm just passing through. I am a stranger and I am an exile in the earth. And do you remember what God said to these men and women who lived like this, right? Who believed God and trusted God and looked at heaven and believed it and lived like they believed it. You remember what God said about them? It's the most, one of the most unique passages in all the Bible. I am not ashamed to be called their God. He said, men and women who live like this, when it gets hard, they believe me and they remember they're just passing through. Men and women who really live like this, incarnate this, I'm not ashamed to be their God. That's a beautiful, beautiful passage. So as we move into John 14, uh, we see Jesus teaching His disciples this overarching biblical truth. You are pilgrims. You are mine. We're out of here. I, when I counsel with Christians, I often challenge and ask them, when was the last time you thought deeply about heaven? And you can ask yourself that question. When was the last time you thought deeply about the inheritance that God has set aside for you. I almost always get a blank stare. <laughs> Listen, beloved, you know, right? Your heaven view is supposed to inform your world view. Now, everybody has a world view, but for the Christian, the heaven view informs the world view. In fact, it dominates the worldview, right? Because we're looking at God and we're looking at heaven. And so everything naturally becomes the right size. Whatever my problem is, it's the right size. I, I know that God is bigger than my problem. And so I don't have to pout for years about it. I don't have to feel sorry for myself. I can actually you know, be an encourager when it's hard. 
I can encourage the people around me even when I have to weep because I know who I belong to and I know I'm on my way home. You're supposed to think about heaven all the time. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be thinking about it all the time. It will give you perspective. You'll feel a whole lot less sorry for yourself when you remember who you are and where you are going. I love J.I. Packer, famous theologian. I think he's still alive um, over in Canada. I love what he says about the true believer. Listen to this. You'll love it. We consciously live on the edge of eternity. I'm just going to ask you, is that true of you? Or is this all academic? The true believer consciously is living on the edge of eternity. The true believer has got, has got his or her life structured in such a way, I'm ready to step off into eternity tomorrow. If, if, tomorrow, if my life ends tomorrow, my, my temporal life, my physical life on this planet, if it ends tomorrow, I'm ready to step into eternity. Right? Right? <laughs> Beloved, this is huge. This is huge for us. Living on the edge of eternity. I love that quote. I've never forgotten it. So Jesus begins to teach His men in John 14 here. And He begins to teach them about heaven. Again, we're in the upper room. Judas is gone. Jesus uh, just told Peter that He would deny Him three times before morning. And He has told them that He's leaving. And they cannot come where He is going. We talked about that last week. So everything the disciples hoped for was going to be dashed. And they're starting to get the sense of it. Jesus is not going to be the earthly King. At least not at this point. Everything they dreamed was coming to an end. And their leader was just told that before sunrise, he would deny Christ three times. I mean, these guys, it's just unbelievably difficult for them at this point. And you've been there, right? You've been in this situation. When everything you hoped would happen crashed against the wall, it's not going to happen. So how do we react as Christians? What do we do? <laughs> we believe and we remember. God never promised that all our dreams would come true. He never promised you that. But He promised the most important dream would come true. You would know, you would know your Creator and you would be with Him forever. Listen, at the end of the day, would you trade anything for that? Isn't that the most important thing in your life? That you have been reconciled to your Creator? And you'll be with Him forever? The most beautiful, compelling, desirable being? You'll be in His presence? If you're a Christian tonight, you have everything that matters. You have everything that matters. 
I know it's hard here sometimes. But God is at work. He's doing something in your life. He's bringing you into conformity with Jesus. He's preparing you for what He has for you in the new heaven and the new earth. Just quickly, John 14. Some people have called this, some theologians have called it the 23rd Psalm of the New Testament. There are beautiful promises here. Breathtaking, stunning promises. Beautiful words of Jesus to His eleven and also to you and me. So let's just pick up here real quick. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. This is obviously important for the eleven, but it's important also for us. Jesus will tell us in John 16.33, in this life you will have what? Health, wealth, and prosperity. Oh no, that's not right. You will have trouble. You will have trouble. Oh, guess what, Christian? When you have trouble, you're not supposed to be surprised. You're supposed to be what? You're supposed to be ready. It's coming. The trial is coming. The heartache is coming. The loss is coming. The betrayal is coming. The abandonment is coming. Human beings will hurt you. Not all, but some will hurt you. Your career dreams won't be what you had hoped. There's a problem in the family. There's a problem in the money. Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble. (laughs) But I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? Don't be blown away when the trouble comes. Don't be surprised. Be ready. Are you prayed up? Are you ready? (laughs) Can you be like Job? He lost everything in a matter of 24 hours. He lost everything. What did Job do? We talked about him last week. What did Job do? He worshiped God. Can you do that? Would that be on your resume? I've lost everything that matters today except my life. I've lost everything but my life. And he, lost, he didn't lose his spouse, but he lost everything else. Could you worship? Would you worship? Would that be your first inclination to worship? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and He takes. Do you trust the Lord in that situation? Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. I'm God, believe me. This is how He says it. Look, uh, Believe in God, verse 1. Believe also in Me. He's basically saying what He's been saying all the way through the Gospel of John. I'm God. He just keeps saying it in different ways. So let not, let not your heart be troubled. I am God. Believe Me. I couldn't help but think of Luke chapter 12. We, we talked about it in Young Adult Bible Study a couple weeks ago. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom of God. Every good thing is your inheritance, beloved. Every good thing is yours. Today may be hard, but an almighty sovereign God holds your inheritance in His hand and it will not be taken away from you. And what is, the, what is our greatest reward? 
What is our greatest reward? Him. Right? You get Him forever. You never stop getting Him. Right? You, you just get God. You get Him. <laughs> the God that these four living creatures in Revelation chapter 4 simply just stare at for an eternity because they can't take their eyes off of Him. Right? He's so beautiful. You'll be the same way. Um, we'll be the same way when we get there. Do not be afraid, little flock. I have chosen to give you everything. I was thinking about you know these theologians that said that, 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 that John 14 is just like the 23rd Psalm. I, I couldn't help but think of Psalm 23.6. You know, the, the message paraphrase of that verse, I absolutely love it. It says, His beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. And when it's really, really hard, <laughs> this is what you need to remember, His beauty and His love chase after me every single day of my life. Jesus says, believe. Believe. And you know, here's the thing. If you really believe, everybody around you will know that you really believe. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there's no such thing as a secret agent Christian. Undercover Christian. That, that, no, that doesn't happen. If you really believe, everybody around you, they know you really believe. Even if you never say anything, which I hope you witness with your mouth, but even if you never say anything, they know you're a believer, right? They know. Jesus says, believe Me. Believe every word I've said. Believe every promise i made. You are Mine. You are My adopted child. And I am working all things for your good. I was thinking about Proverbs 14.26. It says, the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. So what's the solution to the fear in your life? We all have it. It all comes on us. What I've tried to teach you over the years is when it comes on you, you have to learn how to throw it off. You're never going to always or ultimately escape every fear. It will always tend to come back on you, but what you have to do as a believer is learn to throw it off. At some point, some fears just don't come back anymore. You know, I, I can tell you this as an old man. You know, at some point you get past many things, but there's still some things that, that want to, you know, that'll come on me, and I'll start to want to think about them and agonize over them. But I have learned to throw them off. I throw them. I will not entertain. I will not waste my life worrying about stuff I can't change anyway. You know, what, you know what's a good thing to do instead of worrying? Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Instead of worrying, it's another word that starts with a W. What would that be? Worship. Don't waste any time worrying. When you catch yourself going in that place, just decide, I'm going to worship God. If you, if you will worship the Lord, if you turn and look at God, the worry goes away. This Proverbs 14.26, the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. So what is the solution to doubt and uncertainty and fear? Fear. Fear is the solution. Fear of God. Awe and fear of God. Right? The proper kind of fear. To fear an almighty, awesome, breathtaking, magnificent, omnipotent God who does whatever He pleases in heaven and earth. I fear Him. 
I fear him so I don't have to fear all the little stuff. <laughs> right? I think that's a beautiful truth. It's a beautiful truth. The Lord says, Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I've already uh, shared Hebrews uh, 13.5 and 6 with you. God says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Isaiah 51.12, and I love this. Listen to this. Don't ever forget this. Isaiah 51.12, God says, I, even I, am He who comforts you. Who are you to be afraid? God says, if I've made my promise to you, who are you to be afraid? Who are you to be afraid? I'm God. <laughs> you know, there are millions of people who, quote, believe in God, which Satan believes in God. This is no great thing. Um, what, the, what Christianity is, I know and I love God, and I trust God. This is the difference. This is the difference. God says, who are you to fear when I've given you my promise? What's wrong with you? You're my child, right? <laughs> Hebrews 11, the de God's definition of faith, the substance of things hoped for, the, the evidence of things not seen. God says, I think I said it to you a couple of weeks ago, God says, I'm the substance of things hoped for. I'm the evidence of things not seen. Trust me. Believe me. Trust me. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. I'm God. And then He starts talking about heaven. Okay? He begins to talk about heaven. It's like He says, yeah, it's going to be really hard on you guys. It's going to be really, really hard on you 11 guys. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you what I have planned for you. <laughs> Let me tell you, and you need to always remember and think on this, you're on your way to eternity with me. Beloved, it's true. Even what the unbelieving psycho psychologists say, it's true. You become what you think on. And you do what you want to. And so it's your decision. I'm going to think on God. And when the trial comes, I'm not going to obsess about it. I'm going to look through it in expectation of what God... It's going to get hard for these 11 guys, but what's going to happen? What's the end result of this trial for these 11 guys? What is it? Oh, their salvation! They're saved forever! through the shed blood of Christ. They didn't want Him to leave, but it was good for Him to leave, right? He had to leave. He's going to save their souls from hell. Right? God knows what He's doing. You know, I've met so many Christians and they, they, have, they sometimes won't say it. They don't want to say it out loud, but you can tell from their tone and their questions. They're really accusing God. And God has disappointed them and they don't actually want to say it, but it's in their body language. And 
And they're talking all around it. I have a complaint against God. Beloved, let me counsel you to be humble, okay? Worship the Lord. He actually, okay, this is probably not news to any of you. Maybe one or two. He knows better than you. Who disagrees? God knows better than you. And if there's a trial in your life, what what does the Apostle James say? Count it all joy. God's at work. We just need to believe what the Bible says. Verse 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. If you don't know the first century, you don't understand the intimacy of what he's talking about. Um, Usually what happened, the patriarch would build a home and then the son would get married and what would he do? He would buy a place eight blocks down on the right. No. He would build build his, his home right adjacent to his father. And then the next son would do the same. And then the next son would do the same. And there'd be a common patio, right? So the point here is, in the first century context, is intimacy. It's uh, Jesus is saying, you're going to live with me. Okay? (laughs) You're going to live with me. That's what He's saying. You're going to live with me. You're moving in with me. Ultimately. This is what God is saying. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's It's amazing. It's amazing. That Luke 12 passage comes back to my mind. The Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. John 14.2 here says, we could add the Father has chosen gladly to let you move in. I mean, that's where we're headed, beloved. We're headed to, to, the, to our Father's house. And we're not going to live down the block. We're going to have a common patio with God Almighty. That's the point. This intimacy, this, this proximity and intimacy with God. It's why I read the psalm I read to you, Psalm 36, 7, and 8. David says, We drink our fill of the abundance of your house. God gives us to drink of the river of his delights. These are stunning promises, beloved. God intends for our heaven view, this view of moving in with God. See, this is not real to some of you. I, I, I think I know. I've been doing this for a long enough time to realize this is not real with you. Consequently, your life has not radically changed. Because once these kinds of promises become real to you, you change. <laughs> you change. If this is what you think on, right? You don't have time to be worried You're thinking on God and all that God has promised. Amen? Listen, I know you have to fight for this. This doesn't just happen when you wake up in the morning. You have to decide, this is who I am. I am a disciple. I will look at God. I will meditate on His promises. I'm moving in with Him. This is how personal and intimate these words are that Jesus is talking about. So God intends for our heaven view to inform how we live. He intends for us to understand that we're passing through. And He intends, and I, 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 this is a big deal. 
He intends for us to have an anticipation about what's coming. An anticipation about what's coming. So I'll just stop and ask you, do you have a keen anticipation about what God has prepared for you? Is this something you think deeply about? It's something we need to be thinking about, beloved. Jesus says, I'm preparing a place. What is He preparing? We have no idea how awesome this will be. I love the way Paul talks about it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9 Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Now we know that, that God gives John a peek in the Revelation. So I'm going to turn over to the Revelation and just read a couple of passages to you. Uh, beginning in Revelation 21. I'm going to pick up here in verse 10. And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, uh, a stone of crystal clear jasper, which is a diamond. I was going to read it all to you. Verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. I won't. You go look it up at your leisure. Revelation 21. But he's talking about all of these uh, precious stones. You, can, you get the sense that, that John cannot describe what God is showing him. The beauty is beyond human language. So all he can do is reach for the most beautiful and precious things he's familiar with. And he's bringing in all these precious stones. And they're all different colors, right? And I love what MacArthur says about this. John MacArthur, famous preacher in the States, the, the overpowering radiance of God's glory and beauty will refract and glisten through the entire city. The gems picture a brilliant, indescribable, striking, spectacular exhibition of beautiful colors and send forth the light of God's glory and beauty. Let me pick up here. Let me share with you verses 22 and 23 of Revelation 21. John says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Chapter 22, verse 1, And He showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verses 4 and 5, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Listen, shame on us if we're not meditating on all, all that God has prepared and promised for us. Shame on us. I don't think you can be a real Christian if you're not looking at God and looking at heaven. I don't think you can actually live the Christian life. I think you will be almost always intimidated in the world lest you're looking at an almighty God and counting the promises that He has made to us. So I just want to challenge you with that, beloved. You know, if you're out in the world and you talk about heaven, yeah, the skeptics make fun of you, right? <laughs> the unbelievers will think you believe in a fairy tale in the sky. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. You know, Lewis was a he was a an atheist at the highest level of scholarship and academia in England. 
And when he became a Christian, of course, he was ridiculed just like the rest of us by the so-called intellectuals. Um, Pseudo-intellectuals, we'll say. I love how Lewis answered their critique. Listen to what he says. There is no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying that they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. I love that. Right? People who critique the Bible for any reason. They, well, Lewis said it in a very nice way. They're just people who don't understand books that were written for grown-ups. There's a few other things I might want to say, but I'll leave it at that. I'm going to turn back to our text, John 14, verse 3. Jesus says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I love it. Jesus is not going to staff this out, right? He says, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go prepare your place. I'm going to go prepare the place that you're going to move into. You're moving in with Me, right? You're moving in with me. I couldn't help think of John 17, that beautiful prayer where Jesus says, Father, I desire that they whom You have given to Me be with Me where I am in order that they may behold My glory. Chapter 17 of John, And the glory which You have given Me, I have given to them that they also may be in us. These are breathy. Listen, if you haven't studied John 17 lately, go, go spend some time there. If you think deeply about John 17, it'll change your outlook on a lot of things. I love what Lewis says. C.S. Lewis again about, about God's beauty and being in, in, in proximity to God. Lewis says, we'll be united with the beauty we see. We'll pass into it. We'll receive it into ourselves. We'll be enveloped in it. We become part of it. Matthew Henry, famous uh, theologian from the 18th century, he says this, we shall not only be spectators of His glory, we will be sharers in it. Now this is all mysterious. And it's in the too awesome to speculate column. I mean, I don't even know what to say about some of these things. Some of this stuff is so big and so huge and so beautiful. I don't really know how to comment on it, so I won't. I'll just leave it at what Jesus says. It's astonishing what God has prepared for us. Verses 4-6. through and you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know. And what does Jesus say? This famous text in verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. Just in case there's anyone that's wandered in here that's confused, you know, there's only one way to God. There are not two or three or five or ten. There's one. If you're confused about that, I invite you to come and speak with me. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus draws a, a line in, in the eternal sand, so to speak. And we know that the world scoffs 
and rejects Christianity because of our exclusive claims that Jesus is the only way. But why do we say that? We have biblical warrant to say it because Jesus said it. Right? You know, people say, well, you're a bigot. You're intolerant. You're condemning everybody else to hell. No, I'm not. I'm just repeating the words of Christ. So you either believe He's God or you don't. And if you don't believe He's God, well then eat, drink, and be merry. If you believe He's God, you will love people enough to say what He said. He says, I am the way. No man comes to the Father but through Me. Period. Basta. That's it. Right? The question is, do you believe that and do you love people enough to tell people this? Do you love people enough to share the truth with them? Listen, true Christians are not bigots. The intolerant thing is not to share truth. That's the intolerant. That To me, that's bigoted. To, to have so little concern for the people in our lives and around us who don't believe, to have so little concern that we do not actively witness and pray for them. That's bigoted in my view. What are you here to do? What are you here to do? Tell me. What are you here to do? To uh, yeah, have health, wealth, and prosperity? Oh, that's not it. You're here to what? Witness. Witness. That's the only reason you're still here. If you're a Christian. You say, Jim, I've got a lot of things going on in my life. I understand. God's doing a lot of things through you. But your principal call is to be a witness. Jesus says, I am the truth. And I'm just going to make one more comment and I'll, I'm done. I am the truth. What does that mean? There's only one truth. You know, in this postmodern era where truth is sometimes seen as relative or subjective, God says this is foolishness. Okay? Um, this is foolishness. If Jesus is God and He is, and He says He's the way, the truth, and the life, there are no other ways, there is no other truth, and there is no way to life apart from Him. And we either love people enough to share that with them, even if they get offended. Man, even if they get offended. Many people will get offended. It's okay if they get offended. Love them enough to tell them the truth. Just love them enough to tell them the truth. It's why you're here. Principally. Love them enough to tell them the truth. I'm going to close with... Uh, how many, how many of you know Ravi Zacharias? You guys know Ravi Zacharias? Um, I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from this book. I love this book, Jesus Among Other Gods. And uh, he tried to commit suicide at 17. How many of you know the story? And he woke up. Somebody was reading John 14. <laughs> okay? So let me just read to you. First of all, you hear it a thousand times and more growing up in the East. We all come through different routes and end up in the same place. But I say to you, God is not a place or an experience or a feeling, 
pluralistic cultures are beguiled by a cosmetically curious, courteous idea that sincerity is all that counts and that truth is subject to the beholder. In no other discipline of life can you be so naive to claim inherited belief or insistent belief as the sole determiner of truth. Why then did we make this catastrophic error of thinking that all religions are right and that it does not matter whether the claims they make are objectively true? Again, Jesus says, I am the truth. All religions are not the same. All religions do not point to God. All religions do not say that all religions are the same. At the heart of every religion is an uncompromising to a commitment to a particular way of defining who God is or is not and accordingly uh, of defining life's purpose. Anyone who claims that all religions are the same betrays not only an ignorance of all religions but also a caricatured view of even the best known religions. And then I'm going to read to you after his conversion and then we'll be done. Robbie says, I came to Jesus because I did not know which way to turn. I have remained with Him because there is no other way to turn. I wish that I wish to turn. I came to Him longing for something I did not have. I remain with Him because I have something I will not trade. I came to Him as a stranger. I remain with Him in the most intimate of relationships. I came to Him Unsure about my future, I remain with Him certain about my destiny. I came amid, a thunderous, amid the thunderous cries of a culture that has 330 million deities. I remain with Him knowing that the truth cannot be all-inclusive. Truth, by definition, excludes. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Christian, if you're here tonight, I am the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, He says. I am God. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe. Trust. You are Mine. And I've prepared a breathtaking forever for you. If you're here tonight and you do not know Christ, you've never really given your life away to Him. You've never really repented of your sin. You've never really repented of your self-love. You've never really determined in your heart and your mind that He's God and I, I, I believe it and I'm going to live like I believe it. I'm going to obey this God. And I invite you to come. I invite you to come. I invite you to come and become a Christian. It's up to you. You know, on the last day, on the last day, there'll be no excuses. There'll be no excuses. God will know how much light He has given you and you are responsible for the light He has given you. Have you responded? Listen, if you have questions, I'm happy to talk to you. I'm at the other end of the email address. I'm at the other end of the phone. And I'm going to be pretty lonely for about five weeks. So if you want to talk to somebody, Please call me because I'll be talking to the plants. <laughs> but Christian, every good thing awaits you. Unbeliever, come.
Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this text. What a beautiful text. Believe and remember. Believe and remember. We know that in this life we will have trouble. You've told us. We know what to do. We know to believe. We know to trust. And we know to remember. We know to remember who we are and where we're headed. We know we're to be looking at heaven and rejoice and give thanks and be in awe of who you are and what you've prepared and what our inheritance is. Oh God, help us to incarnate these truths into our lives. We know what to do with fear. Give it to You. We fear the King. We don't have time for this, for the small stuff. Help us, Father. We're all in different places. We all have miles to go in our spiritual walk. Help us, Lord. Thank You for these promises. Thank You for this invitation. We love You. We praise You. What a great and awesome God. We love You. In Jesus' name, Amen.